We choose to go to the moon. We okay, everybody, to welcome to our uh, From the Earth to the Moon podcast. Uh, my co-host is Peter, and I am Doug. Um, and this week we are going to be discussing uh, episode 10. Galileo was right, uh, directed by David Carson and written by Jeremy Fiskin and Remy Abushan, I believe you pronounce it. And this originally aired May 3rd, 1998. Got a call out right at the start. The Star Trek connection as is our want. David Carson, the director, directed the film Star Trek Generations, as well as many episodes of uh, Deep Space Nine and Star Trek The Next Generation. All right. Now that that's out of the way. <laughs> you got that one in early. <laughs> Well, because when else are we going to mention the director? <laughs> so this uh, this is really the story of Apollo 15, the first of the J missions um, uh, that uh, the more ambitious um, lunar rover containing moon flights. Right. And our three astronauts, our Apollo 15 crew is Dave Scott, Jim Irwin and Al Warden. Um, and really, the the those those guys are the stars of the episode. But the the other real stars are Lee Silver, a Caltech geologist, who teaches the astronauts to really understand and appreciate the fundamentals of geology, and uh, Farouk Elbaz, uh, who is their um, sort of their lunar geologist, who basically teaches Al Warden how to think about looking at the moon. And also uh, Harrison Schmidt, Jack Schmidt, who was an astronaut who later flew on uh, Apollo 17, who was on the backup crew for Apollo 15 and sort of orchestrates some of the some of the ship, the pivot in this in this mission, this sort of I mean, this mission pivots to them. Now that they've established they can go to the moon and there's been the piloting and they've overcome difficulties and Alan Shepard and the trials of Alan Shepard have been dealt with, the, this episode's really about them getting down to doing the things that people, that don't make headlines, but make science. Right. That's true. Um, and I think that, I think that originally, yeah, Jack Schmidt is that he's the backup lunar module pilot for Apollo 15 with an eye to him flying on 18. Right. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, there's one other Star Trek connection. There is, on the next generation, there is a shuttlecraft named the El Baz for Farouk El Baz. <laughs> That's two Star Trek connections. Wow, that Come one, on. that, is, that is really obscure. <laughs> I doff my hat to myself. I, okay. I challenge anyone else. To, we should have, you should have quizzed it. You know, right. somebody got a free t-shirt if they emailed right, it in exactly. or something. With underarm stains. All right. Um, <laughs> so, so we sort of learn very quickly that the scientific community is sort of looking down their noses at the astronauts. They don't feel like they're taking the science very seriously. They're sort of viewing the geology as rocks for jocks. Um, and then Schmidt is sort of the go-between between the astronauts and the scientific community. And he basically points out that, you know, they need a better teacher. And he goes and he enlists um, his uh past instructor uh leon silver referred to as lee silver uh in this episode he's from monticello new york by the way lee silver uh, yeah and, oh and, and, and so jack the reason jack schmidt's the go-between is because he's a geologist uh jack jack schmidt uh has a phd 
um, and, uh, you know, was, is a, is a, uh, was an academic. Correct. And really the only scientists that flew, there were actually a group of scientists, astronauts, none of whom flew in the Apollo missions, except for Schmidt, although several flew in Skylab and the sort of post Apollo program. Right. Um, and it's interesting that Lee Silver is shown declining the job at first. You know, I've already got a job. Doesn't sound like the astronauts need or want me. He kind of pisses all over the idea until Schmidt is able to sort of convey to him how important it would be if the astronauts could have some real knowledge and what sort of achievements they could accomplish on the surface of the moon if they weren't just throwing rocks in the bags. Right. And then we get to sort of, uh, there's a lot of scenes of um, mission commanders and lunar module pilots, like we get to see Dick Gordon again, um, running around at various outdoor sites and essentially, you know, learning to see the landscape and context of the geology, how to look at individual rocks, right? And we're treated to lots of Lee Silver's florid geology language. Right. Which is interesting. You know, like this could have very easily been a dull part of the episode, and it's not. And it sort of highlights the way the astronauts are they are interested in learning, but they have to sort of tap into their competitiveness to make it more interesting to them. Like they have to make little contests along the way so that the sort of fighter pilot aggressiveness has a place to go. Yeah. I, I and they can it, try to beat each other out. I think it's one of it's one of my favorite episodes. I really like it because it's it's one of those episodes that that deals with sort of a, a big sort of sea changes maybe or things that you wouldn't think about in changing the direction of the missions in a certain way and it and all the missions that followed right right so this is those the second half of the moon missions basically or, or the ones that landed anyway right so the there are six you know six missions landed and uh this is the last three out of the six that, that they're talking about. And these are the ones where they bring rovers. They have massively increased the amount of specimen they can bring back. And they're really paying attention to planetary science at this point. Um, and they're doing, they're doing more EVAs that are much longer. You know, like I think Apollo 11 has one EVA that's about two hours. These guys are doing three EVAs that are about seven hours a shot. Which is a big difference. Right. Yeah, they and they're spent, staying on the moon a couple of days. Yeah, they, the, the fifteen was they spent nineteen hour over nineteen hours on the uh, doing EVAs uh, total. So, yeah, I mean that's incredibly impressive. Yeah, and I think they were on the moon. <clears throat> How long were they? They were on the moon for I think three days. Something is pretty pretty good amount of time. Um. um yeah, I mean they they're gone from July thirtieth to August second. <clears throat> um yeah, they they uh let's see, they uh they undock on July thirtieth and they dock with the command module on August second. So they're there, they're gone three days. Right. It's pretty impressive. Um what was I say? You know, it's it's funny because you said that there's only three more missions at this stage, but they think there's four, right? right. And they, that's why we see Dick Gordon because he is he's you know he flew twelve, five, wasn't it? Then they're supposed to go up to nineteen or something. Well, eighteen, I know for sure. Yeah. Um, 
And that's what, for example, um, Apollo 18's Saturn V ends up launching Skylab, mm-hmm. right? Um, but um, you know, we see we see the cancellation of Apollo 18 here, right? That you know, Dick Gordon, right? He's he's a command module pilot on 12, which puts him in line for commander of 18, right? So that makes sense. He would have backed he backed up would have backed up 15, right? Right, and then flew 18 we see 18 get canceled uh in this episode we don't see apollo 17 till later on but here we see apollo 18 get canceled and there's a scene where dave scott basically you know interprets this as jack schmidt doesn't get to go right it says tough break and then we get to see a really good little bit where the guy who plays jack schmidt basically is like well but this is this is why what i'm doing is even more important because a geologist isn't going to go so you guys have to be ready is what he's essentially conveying to dave scott who maybe kind of doesn't see it that way until that moment right you know he sees sort of schmidt act a little selfless you know when no in, in a time and an environment where nobody does that right they're all just out to get their flight and get their moment in the sun as it were um, you know, some of the scenes where the astronauts are running around, you know, they're kind of purposely painted as dipshits, I, I wrote in my notes, you know, <laughs> like they don't really absorb the lessons early on. Like, it's hard for them to do that. Right. Well, they, they show them initially, you know, in in class being lectured, and I'm sure it was incredibly boring. And also, it it really probably was not it wasn't the best way to teach them just in the way that, you know, ground school for pilots is a small component of their training. And then, you know, you have to spend a ton of time in simulators and flying. And then, you know, you got to learn to land on the carrier by doing it, but you know, you need the muscle memory. So for, for geologists, I guess that equivalent is, is field work. Um, and for them, they had to learn that, especially because they were going to apply that concept to the moon and there's nobody else there to look. And they didn't have the quality of video technology, for example, that they have now. So besides the fact that it's cumbersome to do that, um, they couldn't probably point a high-risk camera somewhere and then beam it back where they'd receive it and you know six seconds later they could get a response back all right uh you know show me more to the right and then go over there pick up that rock you know so Mm -hmm. and they're trying to at this point fight the i guess the the concept that some people had that that uh, what you know, why do we spend all this money to send people up there and why are we still doing it when you can have a robot go get rocks? We can send a probe. It can go scoop up some some rocks and lunar dust and fly it back and we don't have to spend as much money. Right. For one one thousandth of the cost and no risk. So that was, you know, that was, for example, Sagan. Like nobody was more pro-robotic mission and more anti-manned space flight than Carl Sagan. Hmm. You know, you're you're giving voice to his arguments, right? And and they, I think, one of the ways that uh, Harrison Schmidt and Silver um, try to appeal to them is by saying that, you know, you you're going to prove that you that you're a lot better than a than a robot. And we see that reflected in 
the scientists, the scientist community, you know, um, John uh, Aylward uh, plays sort of like the, the geologist in chief in opposition to Lee Silver, who's kind of down on the astronauts and down on what they can do and not very impressed with their intellectual acumen. Uh, he's, by the way, he plays Dr. Anspa on ER. And I wonder if uh, Paul McCrane, who was Pete Conrad um, in episode uh, seven, may have helped get him that job because he also came from ER. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but yeah, but that's sort of a big theme in this episode. Like, is it really worth sending people to do all these missions? You know, there's <clears throat> there's a related scene with Schmidt where where Silver asks him to go get what they call a suite of rocks, like a group a group of rocks that sum up a whole location. Um, and the astronauts run around and you know, kind of kind of half ass do it, and then you know, Silver's very politely telling them that they're all wrong. And then when they see Jack do it and Jack wins approval, you know, again, like they realize like they have to take it more seriously. Yeah. They, they, and, and they don't like being shown up by the geologist, the, who the, the astronaut candidate, the, the, sorry, the astronaut who hasn't flown that they're not impressed with shows them all up. It's partly that, right? So part of it is, is competition. Part of it is, trying to justify why astronauts are going, as we mentioned. And I think part of it is that they, they start to realize, and maybe not all of them, but, um, certainly, um, for example, um, uh, you know, Dave Scott, uh, the commander, uh, realized that there is some, that, that there's, they, there is some valuable contribution to be made and, and that the, this is the heart of the mission in many ways, you know, it's not just the flying cause they've already been there. They've already and, done the flying and Scott, right. And Scott really does the biggest one eighty of all of them where he goes from, you know, sort of like a stick and rudder man to somebody who's genuinely interested in the science, even to the point that there's a very good scene where they show him arguing for the stand up EVA which would involve an extra cabin depress and repress so that he could get a good look at the site from the highest point, you know, as he has been taught by Lee Silver. Right. Um, and interspersed with all this, we keep coming back and forth to, to Al Warden, who's portrayed as a little bit of a doofus. Like, I don't think the real Al Warden is in any way sort of a doofus. I mean, Al Warden had a, a pretty impressive career, but here he's sort of, you know, portrayed a little bit as like a head-scratching doofus while through <laughs> Albaz, you know, just sort of like, oh my God, he's not getting it. You know, like he's like trying again and again and again and again and again to get Warden to sort of understand, you know, lunar geology. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't um, that dramatic, but they have to make it sort of seem like it's more triumphant than when he able to like look out the capsule and and you know give these perfect descriptions right and for example in warden's book uh falling to earth i mean he's you know he's very complimentary about albaz and he describes their time together as sort of really a high point for him in the astronaut program whereas you know i i don't recall him talking in his book about you know this degree of frustration but it works well for the show the guy by the way who plays al warden really looks like al warden they do a good job there <laughs> Um, and then we see a really good scene where they're debating about the landing site, right? Should they, they go to the Marius Hills or, or, the, or Hadley Rill? And the Rill is recognized to be the better site, but also more dangerous and harder to do. Right. Uh, and Scott is shown to be essentially the swing vote pulling the group towards Hadley Rill as a landing site. And he sort of sways them with this little monologue about 
grandeur. Right. Gentlemen, it's Hadley. <laughs> um, and then um, we cut to sort of the, the end of the astronauts' geology training, <clears throat> where they're sort of having a campfire and they're goofing around, watching slides. And then Lee Silver impresses upon them the desire for North Sight, right? The primordial crust of the moon and basically says, you know, you, you, there's a lot of great stuff you can get, but if you can get this, it tops everything. Right. Um, and then um, we basically skip the landing. Like we, we only are, we don't actually see the landing in this episode. We hear it in the geology back room. Like we see the geologists listening to the squawk box. You hear them touch down and then Lee Silver's like, yeah. And then they move on. Like they saved all those effects, all that money just to show the guy who plays Lee Silver, like pump his fist once in the air. And it totally keeping, works. It does. And it, it, you know, we've seen at this point, we've seen, you know, three landings already, right? We saw 11, 12, and 14 land. So again, they can just skip it, especially since the, the landing of Apollo 15, you know, didn't have any sort of high drama or dudgeon to it like some of the other landings did. Right. Uh, and then we see the stand-up EVA, sort of the first validation of Lee Silver. And then uh, Al Warden, right, is able to uh, do everything that uh, the long-suffering Farouk Al-Baz was able to teach him. Um, and then, you know, kind of um, uh, they do a nice job, I think, of the rover. They sort of show them unpacking the rover, and you get a good sense of them driving the rover around and really ranging far afield. Right. <clears throat> Um, they highlight the problems that they had with the drill, which they had to leave in place in between two VAs and go back to the next day. All right. Um, and then, you know, they just hint at the fact that Jim Irwin is sick, right? When they yeah. get back in, there's a bit where, where Dave Scott, um, sort of recognizes that Irwin does not look good. Yeah. Um, and in fact, he was in, uh, by Gemini when he was on the moon. And um, there was concern that he was having essentially a heart attack. Right. Um, and uh, the Chuck Berry, the the NASA flight surgeon, you know, decided to let the mission go on because they were like, well, he's in 100 percent oxygen. He's in one six gravity. You know, it's a pretty good environment if your heart is under strain. Um, it's unclear if um, how much. Dave Scott knew, and my suspicion is Dave Scott did not know that Al, that sorry that Irwin was having a hard time, and Al Warden in his book uh, talks about that he was very angry that he wasn't told that Irwin was having a very hard time, hmm. uh, like physically the the EVAs were extremely difficult on Irwin, and and Irwin actually goes on to have many heart attacks. Um, and dies of a heart attack. He actually had his first true MI when he was only 43, two years after Apollo 15, while he was playing a game of handball. Yeah, he died at 61. Yeah, he died but, young. And he had had like four or five heart attacks by then. But they they just sort of skirt that a little bit. And, you know, it's funny because I used to like this episode I think more than I do now, just because I do feel like they sort of, this is another episode where I kind of feel like they whitewash stuff. And for example, the fact that Irwin was sick on the moon and in by Gemini and, you know, potentially in, in real trouble, it's completely, you know, not even mentioned. They didn't even gloss over it. They didn't even mention it. And we'll get to more gloss over as we go. Yeah. Um, 
Well, they you know, they had, they had to cut oh, it. They just, they had, they can't put everything oh, in. Oh, I know. You know, I know. I mean, not, not in a 50 minute show. In, in this episode, I think it's a good episode because it, it, it covered that kind of big picture and the science and it covered the change in kind of an attitude and culture. Right. And, and the, the change in the, the sort of pivot in the mission and, uh, uh, they they covered a lot. They really did cover a lot in this episode. No, no, yeah. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm not faulting them, but I just, you know, as as I get older and I read more and more and more, you know, like it, it does affect how I view some of the the episodes. Yeah, so I mean, they made them... it seem like he was just dehydrated, and you know, right. he, he probably was just a combination of dehydrated and just worn out. He was probably and... exerting himself too much. You know, well, right. And, you know, the, the packs, even in one six gravity, the suits are hard to work in and the packs are heavy. Right. And they're always tired. So we see them find some anorthosite uh, and uh, the you know, them finding anorthosite is used as a scene to validate Lee Silver. Um, and the, 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 the other geologist who's kind of his nemesis, um, the one I mentioned who played Dr. Anspaugh in ER, you know, he goes up to him and basically says, like, I was wrong. Yeah. You know, like, it's an acknowledgement that boots on the ground and eyes on the ground can do more than robots can do. And this is the so-called famous Genesis rock. Right. And and Silver is very um, magnanimous with him and says, you know, like, well, you get to you get to analyze it. You know? Right. I can't wait till you analyze it and tell me what you found. Like, right. he handles it well. Right. Whereas most people would be like, yeah, I told you. Better listen to me <laughs> next time, bitch. <laughs> um, a very positive portrayal of our scientific community. Yeah. So, um, and then the episode essentially ends, right, with uh, Lee Silver and um, Dave Scott looking at the, the Genesis sample itself. Right back in the LRL, the Lunar Receiving Lab. Right, right. It ends with a rock that they brought back from the moon, and it's heroic. And Dave Scott talks about how he feels like it was—it's one of the greatest things he's done with bringing that rock back. And it's sort of—it's the conclusion, uh, the apex of sort of his turnaround. Um, And it's a nice ending. But you know what's interesting is. Um, there is no mention at all of the postal cover incident, right? You, you collected stamps as a kid, I recall, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, Apollo 15 is remembered for two things. One is the Genesis rock and two is the stamps. Um, and all three of the astronauts under the direction of Dave Scott, uh, entered into a deal with a, a stamp dealer, Herman Seeger, and they brought a bunch of uh, covers, postal covers, with them uh, with the intention to bring them back and sell them when they got back. And many other astronauts had done similar deals. Uh, this deal went sour, and then the astronauts ended up being investigated by Congress. It was a huge scandal. Uh, none of them ever flew again. And um, Al Wharton... I mean, when you read his book, Falling to Earth, the title specifically refers to the stamp incident, hmm. um, and, and their careers were destroyed over this. I mean, Dave Scott uh, kind of came through at the best because he was in the most favor with NASA, uh, but uh, Irwin and especially Warden were essentially hung out to dry, and uh, Warden talks in the book about how 
he was basically fired from NASA and told that they were going to intentionally ruin his Air Force career because of this. Um, and you know, they, they really, they just, they just threw him away. And, and for example, um, Warden talks in the book about how when he went to, I forget if it was the Apollo, uh, 16 or 17 launch that he, he just had to go to, uh, the other side of the banana river with other hundreds of thousands of people. And he got no special pass. They literally wanted nothing to do with him. And, uh, like he was like telling people like I flew the last one and people were like, yeah, right. <laughs> And he was just, a, you know, just a sucker out in the crowd. In in his book, you know, he he places the blame very squarely on Dave Scott's shoulders for getting them involved, and he emphasizes how they were, you know, these were military guys, and that you do what your commander says. And Dave Scott said, "Do this, and we're going to do this stamp thing, and sign here on this paperwork, and do what I say." Right. Um, and um, when they were investigated, Dave Scott never stood up and said. This was my idea, and I did this, and I got these guys involved, and it was me. And, like, if you read Warden's book, he is to this day extremely bitter. Like, mm -hmm. he feels like he did everything right. He worked like crazy. He did everything they asked, and then they literally they crumped him up, crumpled him up, and threw him out. Um, so, you know, you can actually. So, he sued. In the end, he sued for the stamp covers. Yeah, and he got them back. And he, got, he sells them now. Really? If you go to his, yeah, if you go to his website, uh, alwarden.com, um, you can buy uh, the stamp covers. He sells them, which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Because yeah, there aren't uh, that Apollo many. 15, Apollo 15 covers for sale. No kidding. Yeah, he's selling for just just $300 wow. for, for one. It's actually not bad. Well, uh, you know, it says that <laughs> that they were gonna um, they were gonna be fifteen hundred dollars when they got back from space, I guess. Right, but he had a suit to get them back, and then in the end, they won the suit, and he had to lead the lawsuit, and he roped in the other two astronauts and basically said, "Look, if we all sue together, we have a very good chance of winning and recovering these things." So he basically <laughs> organized the lawsuit. Um. But if you ever, you know, it's funny because I talk a lot about these astronaut biographies. Not, if I haven't read all of them, I've read close to all of them. His is really interesting. And because, you know, he went out on such a negative note, I wonder if there's more candor. Like, he's not interested in putting a shine on anything. Like, he just kind of tells it like it is. He ended up finding a job after he got run out of NASA at, at one of the NASA sites in California um, in a sort of non-astronaut role that he was able to sort of find something meaningful to do with his time before he uh he left right but uh you know it's it's funny because you know the the episode of this episode of from the earth to the moon really doesn't touch on this at all and portrays the astronauts as being perhaps more of a team than they were in real life but uh, the way at least the way warden puts it is that they basically blindly followed whatever dave scott said um, and he, Dave Scott was very much looking out for his sort of own career and own prospects, both in NASA and the Air Force. Right. It's interesting. But, you know, again, don't get me wrong. This is a this is a great episode. Uh, and they really, really, you know, they convey a ton and they do a really good job of it. Um, one of the best photos uh, to come out of the moon missions comes out of this one. It's the photo of Jim Irwin saluting the flag. Have you ever seen that picture? I'll put it on the uh, I'll put yeah. it on the links. But he's saluting the flag, and the lunar module and the rover are in the picture. And my and my 
a few years ago in my office, I used to have uh, a picture of this up on the wall, but not anymore. Um, I don't know. Definitely a strong one. Yeah, I think it's a really good one. Um, any other, any thoughts on it besides what we said? Anything you didn't like about it? Mm. No, I think they did a nice job. You know, maybe it was a little they overdramatized the astronauts turnaround or their inability to learn a little bit in the beginning as we discussed but the, i mean i, I you got to give them a little bit slack yeah no it, it doesn't take anything away from them but you know it would have been interesting they could have just you know what would have been a good way to do it is like at the very end of the show like you know like as they walk out of the lrl you know like deke would have been like uh you know, Dave, could you come into my office and talk about this stamp thing? Yeah, and then the show ends. <laughs> you know, like him, him like gulp. Nice. <laughs> that would have been an interesting way to do it. But you know, it shows you too how how much of an aberration Apollo twelve was. Like those guys really liked each other and got along. Whereas you don't get that sense from Apollo seven, right? Apollo uh eleven, Apollo fourteen, Apollo fifteen, right? You know, like these guys were guys who were thrown in together and working together, but they weren't always necessarily the best of friends. Right. So, all righty. Uh, I think that should wrap us up for episode 10. We just have two more episodes to go in our From the Earth to the Moon podcast, um, and we'll uh, be on those next week. Okay, see you then, and, and don't forget to check out our other podcast, Popcorn Drink Combo, a movie podcast, which you'll probably And don't forget like. to check out the links uh, for this episode as well. Yeah, we'll have a link to Al Warden's uh, things he's selling. In case you want to buy a stamp cover. Right. I think, uh, by the way, I think I might buy a stamp cover now. I'm not surprised. I might, <laughs> I might buy a book. Right. All right, guys. Thanks. 